Hi neighbors, welcome to another Neighborhood Conversations. If we haven't met yet, I'm Andy Woodworth and I'm one of the pastors of Neighborhood Church in Atlanta. And it's really great to connect with you in this way. In just a minute, you'll hear one of our sermons from Neighborhood Church that was delivered by me on March 5th, 2023. And it was a part of our Digging In series of Lent 2023. But first, I want to share with you the text for the day that the sermon is based around from the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. So wherever you are, open up your heart and listen to what the Spirit is saying through these words to the church and to you. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, How is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, How are these things possible? Jesus answered, You are a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and we testify about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the human one. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And you can say this along with me if you'd like. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Pray with me. Oh, gracious God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the gift of the arrival of spring, strange as it is. God, thank you for the ways that you pour out new life upon us and for the ways that you invite us to undergo this strange and mysterious process called birth yet again. Oh, God, be with us in our questions. Help us to journey with you until we begin to somehow understand. God, in all these things, remind us that we swim in your love. 
God, I pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus, the one who is with us and the one who is alive. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Neighbors, if we haven't met yet, I'm Andy Woodworth. I'm one of the other pastors here at Neighborhood, and it's good to be back here among you. I've been gone for some weeks. Um, I was out of town, and then I had the COVIDs. Um, so, but I am, um, I am back. On the third Sunday, they rose again, right? Like, and they came back to church, so here I am. Y'all, I think that most of us understand um, that life has a kind of acceptable trajectory. Do you know what I mean? Well, at least we, we pick up on the idea that there's a way that our life is supposed to be how it's supposed to unfold. So if you know what I mean, there's, there's a narrative that life is supposed to follow a particular path to success. You know, you do well in school, and then maybe you get into a better school, you graduate, and then you find a career where you pursue promotion after a promotion, and somewhere in there you meet maybe another human, and you settle down, and you have 2.5 children who are, of course, beautiful and above average. Now, usually this path isn't, you know, expressly written down anywhere. Like, they don't give you the pamphlet where it's expressed in tidy bullet points. These things are just sort of communicated through all of those indirect pathways, those pathways of what's celebrated and what kind of stories elicit a quiet oh dear, I hope that goes well for them with, um, from your grandma. <laughs> now, I know this is true for certainly cishet white culture here in the United States, but other people groups have picked up on these things because of, frankly, the proximity to cishet white culture. And yeah, we love, as Americans, an underdog story, a rags-to-riches tale, but these narratives reinforce the main story, don't they? As in, look how these humans struggled, and they had a wandering journey, but still achieved the goals that our society values. And here in the Gospel of John, I think we discover a really interesting character named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has done everything right. Well, we don't know everything about Nicodemus and what he's done, but he has definitely climbed the ladder of success. He is a learned scholar. He stayed in school, and he got his degrees, and he apparently was well-respected enough to be selected to be a part of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was a council of 23 people, 23 well-respected members of the Jewish community at that time, made up of priests and Levites and members of the Jewish community of demonstrated pure lineage. So being a part of this group was maybe like being a part of the Jewish Supreme Court. Lots of respect, lots of honor. Nicodemus was literally in the inner circles of first-century power of first-century Jewish life. He had followed the pathways that successful people followed to get to the top of the places of power. But something wasn't right. Nicodemus had all the things, power, recognition, respect, all the things that the acceptable trajectory of first century life said that anyone would want to have, but something was missing. Now, I can't tell you exactly what that felt like for Nicodemus, 
But maybe I don't have to because you know what that feels like. It's having your life together, all the things, just perfect. But something inside of you wonders, is this all that there is? Is this it? Is completing your education and getting a great job and your dream career field and working there for 10 great and successful years and something bubbling up in you, is, it, is this it? <laughs> is this all I want to do until I retire or until I die? Is this all that I am? I think maybe it's like that Christmas morning where you work so hard to get all the things just right for all the people, and you have all the decorations just right and the special food made just so, and you feel a sort of emptiness anyway. All the commercials tell you that this is what it's all supposed to be about, the most wonderful time of the year, and at the end of the day, you look at all the piles of torn wrapping paper and dirty dishes, and you can't help but wonder, why is it like this? Why don't I feel satisfied like I'm supposed to, like they told me that I would be? Is there more? Nicodemus had what Walter Brueggemann calls the nighttime gnaw. Now, I can imagine that this had been growing for years, but it had developed to the point where Nicodemus figured out where Jesus was staying, got himself dressed, and walked in the middle of the night through the streets of Jerusalem to knock on the door of a strange wandering rabbi who he had heard just might have some answers or be able at least to point him to some different possibilities for his life. The gnaw had Nicodemus out doing some risky business in the middle of the night. It was risky for someone so close to the inner circles of power to be seen conversing with this radical Jesus, let alone visiting Jesus at his house in the middle of the night. Can you imagine Elena Kagan or Sonia Sotomayor taking a late-night lift to go see a fringe religious teacher? Can you imagine Clarence Thomas doing this? How would this kind of event hit the cable news cycle here in 2023? But I think once that gnaw gets you, it might take months or years, and you can try to ignore it or run from it, but it is always there, lurking, asking, appearing at odd moments, wondering in your soul, is, it, is this it? Is this all I am? Is this all I was made for? And some folks find a way to suppress this question, right? They calculate the risk. They decide that it's too costly to pursue this line of questioning. And they give up what they, and, and, to, and they don't want to give up what they have achieved, their status and their power and their relationships. And so they stay on that acceptable trajectory. And some folks decide that they can't ignore it anymore. Even if their whole life gets totally wrecked, they have to listen to the gnaw and dig in and see where it leads. I think this is Nicodemus knocking on the door in the middle of the night. And y'all, Jesus is home. <laughs> And he answers the door. That's how it works, by the way. Jesus answers the door when you knock. And 
he gives Nicodemus some more things to gnaw on, more than I think Nicodemus bargained for. Pretty quick, Jesus launches into some deeply mysterious language. It's as confusing to Nicodemus as it might be to us. Jesus says, like, right on the threshold of the door, like, right off the bat, not like, how, 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 how are you? Hi, how are you? It's, unless someone is born anew, it is not possible to see God's kingdom. Born anew. This is some weird stuff, y'all. The Greek in the text says, genethe anothen, literally generated from the up place. Think about that on the way home. <laughs> this often gets translated sometimes as born from above, or as it is here, born anew, or perhaps more familiarly, born again. I like to think of it as maybe a sense of you must be regenerated, or maybe you must be born on a different level. And Jesus says this has to happen before you can ever see the kingdom, before you can ever perceive the kingdom, in order to get it, either to understand or to obtain, you with me, to get it, what it is that all of us are doing here, you have to have this kind of experience. Okay, I want to just take a second and acknowledge the harm that churches have done around this teaching of Jesus. And the phrase, being born again. Street preachers ask aggressively, have you been born again? Churches hold revivals that there are plenty of opportunities for people to get born again, and there can be pressure and manipulation around making sure that you have had the experience that everyone else has, in theory, had. And this causes some folks, particularly young folks, so much anxiety. Because the idea is that if, if I don't have this experience, then I won't go to heaven. And it's a part of the struggle to ensure that you're going to heaven, to have a strong fire insurance policy, as I've heard it's called before. <laughs> but when this teaching becomes a kind of manipulative tool to reinforce group conformity, like we all have to have the same kind of experience, this ecstatic religious experience, then this misses the point, in my opinion. Because being born isn't something that you do exactly, right? I mean, babies like participate for sure. There's something going on that they're doing, but they're following instinct mostly and, and just going with the flow of something much bigger than themselves. Being born happens to you in its time when things are ready. I don't think that babies make conscious decision, a conscious choice to be born. At least I don't remember it happening that way when I was born. Do you remember differently? <laughs> but Jesus is not saying, you have to get with my ecstatic spiritual program in order to get to heaven. I think it's quite the opposite. Jesus is saying, look, you have had the first birth, yes, but what about second birth? What about all the ways that the regular world with its narratives, its successes, its acceptable trajectories isn't enough? What if there was, in fact, more? What if something inside of your mind, heart, body, spirit could come alive in a way that it wasn't before? 
truly and fully alive, out here in the open air, free to move in the wind, and that having this awakening, this regenerating experience, would feel like coming out of a shell, out of a cocoon, out of a womb into a whole new life. But living this full life might just mean giving up on the success, the respect, the acceptable trajectory of your old life. Would you pay this gnaw any attention and explore what this new life might mean for you, or would the cost of it be too much to even consider? Y'all, maybe it's where I am in my life, but I can't help but hear the parallels between being born again and coming out into the world as being somehow queer, as being a member of the LGBTQ community. Y'all, thankfully, there are many people in the world that have known that they were lesbian, bisexual, gay, trans, or otherwise queer from an early age. And because the world around them embraced them, the journey, their journey began early. But for others, it didn't begin until later in life, after the schooling and the careers and the relationships had already been, you know, settled. And something deep within kept gnawing away at them. Is this who I am? Or am I something else, something more? And plenty of folks explore these things in the dark, in nighttime conversations, or these days, in late-night internet searches. <laughs> and there comes a time that you realize that you are queer, and, and you come out to yourself. But then you take stock and you realize the risk. If you come out to your family, to your husband or your wife, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your school, to your neighbors, will you be left alone, abandoned, rejected, fired, expelled, homeless? Yes, many of these things are things of the past in places like in town Atlanta, but they do still happen every day in places not far from this place. And they will happen more and more if some folks in our country have their way. It is a risk to come out, a real material risk. But there comes a point when the gnaw won't let you alone, and some of us decide that the old life is too painful, too difficult, too confining, and we are born somehow into a new life, a life out in the open where we can be all the way ourselves out in the fresh air with who we are and who we love. Y'all, I think that this whole being born again thing also comes with the prospect of what feels like death. To be born again into a new spiritual and communal life is to be in a different relationship with the life that you lived before. The transition between one life and another can be so stark as to sometimes feel like the old you died. It is a risk. Sometimes it works out great, and sometimes it really does cost you everything and everyone. Nicodemus is an interesting character that appears here at the beginning of John in the third chapter, and he's knocking on Jesus' door in the middle of the night. But then he shows up two other places. About halfway through the gospel, some, Jesus, some Jewish leaders are considering how to handle this radical Jesus, and they're talking about if they should arrest him now or later. 
And we hear Nicodemus pipe up in this meeting, perhaps the meeting of the Sanhedrin, and he asks, isn't it our custom to give people that are accused a fair hearing? He's sort of speaking up for Jesus, but, but not quite, not very forcefully. It's timid. But then we meet Nicodemus again at the end of the story. After Jesus has been crucified, along with Joseph of Arimathea, it's Nicodemus who does the work of collecting Jesus' body, of purchasing the spices to anoint Jesus' body, wrapping him in linen and laying Jesus in the tomb. There were two people named as doing that work, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Now, you could see this in different ways, but the way I think about it is somehow Nicodemus has gone from a stranger at the door to a pretty intimate friend who is at real risk and real cost and at real risk and real cost to himself gives the body of Jesus a proper burial. He does this publicly, not in the shadows, but out in the light, out in the fresh air, because he isn't held back by what people might think. He comes out as a follower of Jesus. He is willing to risk this attention, I think, because something has awakened inside of him. Something had begun to generate inside of him, to grow inside of him, and this new life gave him courage to do what needed to be done. Neighbors, I can't know all the things that gnaw on you in the middle of the night. Maybe you have, in fact, always been true to your fullest self and are right where you need to be. If you are fully who you are, living your true life to its fullest, you glorify God when you are fully alive. So do that. (laughs) But maybe something does call you out of your journey and invite you continually, insistently, to dream about new ways of being alive. Digging deep means listening to and sitting with the gnaw and discerning where it comes from. If it is misleading or misguided, that's a possibility, I guess. Or if it is the voice of God in you calling you out of your shell, of your cocoon, of your womb, of your tomb… Because here is the good news. It is strange, and it is mysterious, and it is risky, and it is dangerous, but it is possible to be born anew. It is possible to start over, to find not just a new life here and now on this earth, but to find a full life, a life more alive than you thought possible. Resurrection is possible, and resurrection happens all the time. This is because here and now we can be born again and discover a fuller life filled with a richness of love and being and relationship guided by the wind of the Spirit of life. And when our whole life is spent on this plane of existence, there is more life to come in the resurrection, raised from death to life by Christ Jesus, the one who is alive. The one that breathed life into us the first time can and will breathe life into us a second time. And it's all because of the oceanic love 
that God has for every one of us. Y'all, it is scary, and it is confusing, and it is weird, but it is real in a deeply true way that we don't get just one life to live. We can live beyond this life here and now and beyond forever. With God, there is more life, more love, more truth, more aliveness because God didn't take on our humanity to condemn us, but God became flesh in Jesus so that we might have life, so that we might really live. Y'all don't get caught up in the lie that this little thing that we have right now is all that there is, that your life can only be about the acceptable trajectory, that you must do what everyone else does to be successful. Y'all, with God, there is hope. There is a new life, more life, forever life, and it's never too late, never too late, never too late to be alive. You can sit with the gnaw and follow the strange and wonderful path guided by the winds of the Spirit from wherever you are now to whatever you will become. Because, y'all, whatever we are now is loved, and whatever we will become is a mystery, and it is never too late to begin. May it be so, neighbors. May it be so. Neighborhood Conversations produced by Neighborhood Church in Atlanta, Georgia. You can learn more about us at neighborhoodchurchatl.com. And on our website, you can find links to our weekly live streams. And you can find out what's going on in the neighborhood. Find us on social media and don't forget to subscribe. Peace be with you.